We are happy to announce that this episode of the SW Show is partially brought to you by Humble Bundle. Well, not, not really. We are part of the Humble Bundle referral program, and we just wanted to say that if you like really cheap games and maybe helping charity pending the Humble thing going on, all you have to do is go to humblebundle.com forward slash question mark partner equals SWW. That's right. Humblebundle.com forward slash question mark partner equals SWW. And you just do your normal stuff and it just kind of helps us get a couple bucks here and there. Maybe it helps AJ go about his lights. Maybe it's my camera. Maybe we actually pay Corey for helping us out. But again, if you're going to go buy games anyway, it might be worth checking out. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to these interview episodes of the SWW Show. I'm Mike, and today with me a special guest from decently around the world. To get us started, <laughs> do you mind introducing yourself and the game we're here to talk about? Sure. My name is Sasha, and I am the artist and the director on uh, The Title Keeper. It's a point-and-click adventure game where we're releasing Chapter 1, uh, hopefully really, really soon. Uh, also, I'm not the only artist, I just should say. Uh, we have another artist on the game as well. Just making sure I'm not stealing any credit there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Games, games, these complicated things. Whenever I see someone who's like, I'm truly the only person on a game, I'm like, you have way more talent than I ever will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I could make everything myself. Uh, not possible. <laughs> but, so, so a point-and-click adventure game. I'm, I'm kind of immediately curious because obviously it's one of those genres that was big, few decades ago, and then has, like, made its slow comeback, slowly exist in the background, kind of. What kind of drew you to kind of working on a game like this? Oh, this is purely, like, working on something. You, you, I don't know if they say that, but something like, uh, you should you should do something you love. This is basically the mm -hmm. types of games that I've always loved growing up. Like, in the late 90s, uh, the start zeros, that's what I played. That's the adventure games, uh, the longest journey the Siberia series and uh, all those games, um, Neverhood, and a bit of the later Monkey Island games as well, all of that. So I'm hugely inspired by the games that I love myself when I play. I don't think I would be able to make a game that I wouldn't love playing myself when it comes down to it. Um, but yeah, it, it's a completely old school way of games but I think what draws me to them is the fact that it's so focused on story and puzzle elements. I've never been much into combat when it comes down to it, so so this is so much more something that um, speaks to me. And then I think there is a market for it still today, though it's definitely a lot smaller than it was in the late 90s. <laughs> That's a, it's an interesting market, because I definitely agree with you saying there is a market, but it's definitely one of those markets I feel like has a super high floor, but a super low ceiling. Like, you have a general idea of, like, yeah. if one of these hit, we're pr it's pretty easy to figure out, like, where it's going to fall from a sales point of view and how big the audience can, can be, but there definitely is that mm. base layer a ton that always seems like, like, hey, we don't get enough of these, so when one comes out, it really helps. Yeah, and also you, you're uh, stuck playing the games that are there, and if there's only three games when you played them once, uh, you can't really play it again because it's what well, you can, but it's the same story you'll be playing once more. So if you're a huge fan of adventure games then or these point-and-click adventure games, you're going to constantly need new content. So even though you have a small group of people maybe playing it, then 
you still have a lot of people that are always craving new content, I think. I think you're I think you're hundred percent correct. But let's kinda of dig in. So as you said you're work you're you're an artist on the team on Tideshell Keeper. Yeah. And can we can we discuss what so when I, when you say an artist obviously there's a few different pieces I could kinda of see in the game a lot of what what was kind of the the big things you kind of touched or you talk about kind of your your inspirations kind of while making them? Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, I I think I am somehow when it comes to art, um, I, I'm somewhere in between fantasy and sci-fi. It's it's not really it's not classical fantasy. I, I've never been really interested in in things to do with trolls and elves. Um, well, trolls in a Nordic setting, maybe, but still, I, I think I'm going for something that's a little more um, like Mediterranean fantasy for the title keeper. It's it's really hard to pinpoint what it is. It's um, magic realism, if that makes any sense. So, I think the art style tries to go in that direction as well. That it's sort of close to reality, but still has a layer of its reality, but not really. Um, so how would and you, then I think yeah. Everyone talk about that kind of stuff. So I just I just kind of I I picture a lot of I'm trying to think what would fit that art style. You said where it's like it's realistically, but it's not kind of like like <laughs> if imagine I'm like walking in a town right, and you're trying to explain that to people. Kind of what would you kind of point to of like what's the like maybe the, some of the storefronts be weird, whether it be a few vendors that have disproportionate features. Like kind of how would you describe that like that line you're kind of walking? Um. Like mostly, like I would probably say it's like ninety percent, ninety five percent our world, but then just with a hint of something else on top of it. So if you're walking through a a market, you have the usual uh, fish vendors. It like imagine a um a small Italian village, and uh, in this market you have fishmongers, and one of them is selling these frilled sharks, which is an actual animal that lives really down deep into the ocean but you wouldn't usually um, sell these fish I think I don't think you eat them but these are some of the things that they sell and then next to that you might have a giant fish that you've never heard of um, like we, we have these fishmongers selling ikma fish we call them um, which is not a real thing it comes from a place that doesn't exist in the real world so it's constantly on the verge of this is a place where um, it could be real, but it's not, I think. Mm-hmm. If if I'm not making any sense at any point, just no, let no, me know. No, no, I think, I think, I, think I understand <laughs> what you're saying. I, I do think that actually makes some kind of sense there. Uh, but, but, you know, that, that's, I think it's a very interesting world, right? Because especially when you want it to be that, that, like, hint of realism there, because always it's, I think, super easy to fall into the fantasy line once you start going down there. I'm kind of curious yeah. if you guys had any problems where you had to like pull it back, kind of like, kind of during development. Like, no, this got too unrealistic. <laughs> not, not too much. But the thing is, I'm, I'm, I, I wrote the story as well, um, uh, and and directed the thing. So, so I've, I've sort of got myself to, I've only, <laughs> what's the word for it? Um, I can only blame myself if uh, if something goes too much in one direction. Um, no. I don't think we ever stepped over the line, but it's. I think I've also got a very clear idea of what I like and what I don't like when it comes to fantasy. So, for example, if all of a sudden there is something that you that you could only describe um, by saying it's magic, then that wouldn't fit into this world. Um, there has mm-hmm. to be some sort of a little bit of a hint of logic behind something. So, if there is a, um, an object 
For example, this is called the tide shell keeper. That's because it's a spoiler alert about something called a tide shell, which is a bit of a magical element, but not so magic that it's just it's magic and we don't need to explain it. There is a little bit of an explanation behind how this thing works. Um, it's if if you want, I can briefly explain what it's about. Yeah, let's let's jump right um, there. Yeah. All right. So it's this um, shell. A con is it called a conch shell? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be a, I'm assuming that's I, I, a conch is a type of shell. So yeah, it's the one you talk into or the stuff you a lot of times you'll see in fiction. Exactly. So it's one of those sort of a thing. But the thing is that when you pour from this, um, you can keep pouring out water indefinitely. And if you put it into water, you can keep collecting water into it indefinitely. And I'm not going to spoil how the whole thing works, but there is some sort of an explanation behind it. It's never just said it's magic. And I think that's where I draw the line when it comes down to these things. Um, I I want things to make sense. I need there to be some sort of an explanation behind things, even when it's not always spelled out. It's just I need to know. As the writer, I need to know um, how things work and why they work the way they do. That makes, I think that makes a kind of a, a lot of sense kind of when you think of that mechanically. Um, so let's just talk about this, right? So you said, so it's, it's, the story evolves around on the, on this, on this conch shell that, that like infinitely can pour water. Would do that, mm. uh, was that like you research, like obviously like, I think of a lot of cultures have like a great flood myth or <laughs> early story or like, uh, is there any other kind of things you kind of pointed to and kind of thinking of, of this being the like linchpin of the story? I think that's that's uh, the main um, the main inspiration because I love these old flood stories and the funny thing is it's not just uh, Noah's Ark and in the Bible it also goes all the way back to the what's it called uh, Sumerian um, yeah no I don't people think people realize period. the flood stories are one of those things that are in a lot of cultures it reminds me a lot exactly. of ways I don't know if you've researched uh, in uh, a lot of cultures point to something akin to a dragon, and, I, and that's where it's always this confusing <laughs> thing. Like, yeah, we're like, why do multiple cultures across the globe point to this like single thing and like have similar <laughs> stories? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting, right? I, I know of there are the people in the Nepal that has a flood myth. There are people in um, the, the I think the Hawaiians uh, have a flood myth everywhere around the world. Doesn't matter where you are, there is probably a flood myth, and you could say logically. There has probably been floods everywhere in the world, so at some point there should have been one uh, in every place, and that's why you have some sort of a, a myth about it. But they are surprisingly similar sometimes, um, and, and I love that. So, whoops, my computer just went out. Are you there? Yeah, you're still, you're still good. You're still good. Good, good, thanks. I, I just moved house, so um, everything is a little shaky right now when it comes to internet. Um, so sorry if it cuts out. No, so... Um, no, I, I love these flood myths, and I love the the fact that the the Bible isn't the only one. That's the one we all know in the Western world, but um, but even that is based on some older traditions and storytelling. Um, so yeah, that's where it comes from originally. That was the inspiration. But this is a completely different one. Um, it probably takes inspiration from the from the Sumerian myth which right now I can't remember exactly how it goes, and um, a bit of Norse mythology as well. And uh, yeah, it's basically I love just connecting things from all over the world and putting it into one big pot and then stirring it and see what comes out. God, no, that, that's, that, I think that's very, 
very great, kind of, when you're thinking of it that way. Um, was there any, so obviously, you did, so was there, like, specific parts of it, you like, reading the, the myths from the different cultures, and then you're like, hey, let's, was there any specific ones you pulled from, kind of, there, besides, uh, obviously, the water parts, but anything else you got to pulled in those together to kind of build the story? Mm, I think there was, but I, I don't really want to point them out, because that would sort of spoil a bit of the story, I think, but, um, but but yes, definitely, there are parts where it's taking like a part of something directly from a, a myth that I found in some culture, and other parts are completely made up. It's it's a little bit like uh, a big part of this game takes place in a floating island called the Drifting City, um, and in this place, it's a collection of people from all over the world that sort of ended up floating around in this city, and they speak a language that's made out of words from all over the world so basically it's a it's a language we made up um called drift and uh, every word is taken from a real existing language and i think that's how i write the story as well um that i want to connect things from all over the world into one big mesh so you can say a sentence uh in this language that is uh basically four languages put together uh, and, and it's not it's not even like put together in a correct way. I probably used the words completely wrong. Uh, like nini um, halutasi in drift language means uh, what are you doing? And nini is I I think it was Spanish. No, it's not Japanese. Can't even remember now. Haluta is another language, and C comes from German C. So so everything comes from a different language, and it's all meshed together into something that doesn't make that. How can you say, if you are from one of those places, the sentence wouldn't make any sense at all. But put together, uh, it only makes sense in drift. I'm rambling makes, I, th- I think that does <laughs> does make kind of sense there. Um, wow, that's a, I think that's very interesting. Uh, when, I think my point is that, that when I make the story, it's sort of the same thing. So yeah. I might have taken something from a myth, but it's like a tiny little bit. So if you if you see it in in this context, it doesn't really... You wouldn't immediately go, ah, oh, well, this is obviously uh, from Noah's Ark, or this is obviously a Sum- Sumerian myth thing that was put in there. I, I actually want to dig in, if you don't mind, for a second. On the, mm-hmm. you said you helped to craft um, your own language, the, the language kind of there. How did you pick mm-hmm. the languages kind of that you you merge kind of? Cause you said there was there was German. I, you said I know you said a few others kind of in there, like. Was it just like, hey, I'm looking when I'm reading these resources? Was it just, hey, I've already found these languages, how they say things unique? Kind of like, how did you come up with which ones you chose? So it's a, it's sort of, a, I don't know if you could say it was a cheap way, but I basically went to Google Translate. And then whenever, so I took, what how it started was, I, I found out like what are the 100 most used words in every language. So the, the words that you will need in most languages, are, and those are stuff like food, yes, no, hello, things like that. Then I Google translated them and found words that sounded like they belong to the same language. So this language is very vowel-based and very O-R-E. Um, so no hars uh, ha sounds or uh, uh, sth sounds, and then I basically translated those hundred words. Um, then started writing the script, and whenever I found a sentence where I need something new, I'd add a new word. And it's basically going through Google Translate and uh, going, okay, what is the word in Latin? What is the word in Spanish? What is the word in Haiti? Haitian? Haitian? Uh, anyway. Um, 
Haitian? Is no, that yeah, that's mean? from ha- Haiti. Yeah, uh, I would think of it as Haitian. I think was what we'd say. Haitian? Yeah, I think, <laughs> we say we say Haiti, and I know Haitians and nationality. I do not know if that's the language, but that is roughly. Oh, well. I, I was, I've always heard it say, it's, at least in English, is Haitian. I'm pretty sure we have some Haitian words in there as well. <laughs> But yeah, that's so. That's basically how it how it came up this language. And then uh, we used um, the the grammar from Latin languages where you have the la- the the what is it called the the part of the word that says what you're doing. So I speak, for example, is connected to I. So in Spanish, that would be hablo, I speak. Right. Uh, and if I say you speak, it would be hablas. So the part, the last part of the word is basically who is doing the thing. And we use that sort of grammatic way. Uh, in in drift language as well, so we had some sort of a um, an anchor point for the grammar. So we just made it our own. So we still write it. For example, if you say in drift, I see you see mira a, and if you say you are watching something, it's mira si. Um, so there was a little bit of a, of grammar, but not too much. We didn't want to spend too much time on that. Just enough for it to sort of make sense when it's spoken by these people. No, that makes sense. I'm kind of curious, right? So as, as you're talking, right, you, this is the language you kind of see as you walk around the world. Was there any discussion mm-hmm. or any point in the game kind of where, where this language gets used, like mechanically speaking, like like the, the the player has to like themselves decode what's being on or is it kind of made so it's kind of, so you should be able to even understand roughly what's happening and what's being spoken? I think I wanted that no matter where you're from in the world, you if you play this game, um, you would get words here or there, but not get an entire sentence without knowing quite a lot of languages. Um, a, an example is, uh, I just found a sentence. So for example, That is, uh, every single word in that sentence is from a different language. Um, so let's say you're from... Uh, Finland, then haluta, you would understand what that word comes from, but it wouldn't make any sense because you don't know the rest of the words. Um, I, I don't know if that answers your questions. No, I think that that does kind of. So the idea is like, hey, if you know this language, like you're going to immediately know it and it just might happen at different points, like for the unique <laughs> word. Otherwise, they have to use context clues or like the, what's being said around them. And they're like, oh, I understand what this word should probably mean. Yeah, Exactly. And then you get you get little hints in the game, so it, it, we're not going to just throw you out in deep water there. Um, you get hints to what they mean. So, for example, you will see two drifters, because the, the part of the game is that you learn this language as the main character. Um, you might see two drifters talking, and one of them is saying, like, uh, your main character already understands quite a few words, because it would be completely impossible if you had to learn a language from, like, the first word. Uh, that would just take too long and be tedious rather than fun, I think. So what we did was um, the main character knows a little bit of this language already, and you see a couple of drifters talking. Uh, one of them says, um, uh, they have funny uh, something here, funny X here. Uh, yes, uh, uh, I can. there is a hole in the middle. So you don't know what the word is you're looking for, but if you look at what they're doing, you can sort of guess, okay, they're standing with these things with with the coins that has holes in them. So most likely that word that you don't know, that is probably the word for money or for coin. And in that way, you're sort of guessing um, from what is being said and trying to connect these things into what, what the words mean. And then you can use the word in a sentence and see if you guessed right. 
That sounds that sounds great. Yeah. No, I understand kind of how that works, and I think that's a very interesting way, kind of, to think about that, for for sure. Um, so let's let's talk then. So as we said, the game is the Tide Shell Keeper. You have episode one. You said hopefully coming out soon. How many how many episodes can people kind of expect? And do you have a rough time frame? Like should I expect them over a year, over two years of like what this looks like? So there is probably going to be about five episodes. Um, each one taking place in a new area. I think it was, hang on, let me see, five, does that make, yeah, that makes sense. Um, regarding time frame, currently I don't have any idea. We really wanted to have finished the game by now, but the thing is that um, funding a game like this just became a bigger task than uh, I expected. So it has taken a long time finding the funding to create the first part. And what we're hoping now is that when we release the first chapter, that will help us fund uh, the rest of the game. So it all really depends on how it goes with the first episode, and if there is a if there is enough um, of of people that want this, then hopefully we can scrape together the money to make the next episode, and then the next episode. And it's not the ideal way of making it, really. Um, I know that this is part of the reason why I think it was The Wolf Among Us that didn't do so well because the company closed down before yeah, that they was, finished. Yeah, that was Telltale yeah. in development of season two, I think, of Wolf Among Us. They were definitely yeah. in development of a few games, kind of, when they shut down. And I know people were super annoyed because they basically invested in a game that they never got an ending for. Um, so I, in the beginning, I didn't want to do this chapter-based, but we're just currently at a stage where either the game is not going to happen or we have to do it chapter-based because we can't um, fund the full game right now, unfortunately. So um, it can be that the full game is out in a year. It could also be that uh, it takes longer, but uh, but this is a bit of... Like, this is my baby, basically, this project. This is my first baby. I now have a real human baby, but that's another thing. Um, But I'm hoping that I can continue working on this. But if I have to do this by myself, then, you know, it's going to take me 10 years to finish. So it might be a long wait. Uh, If lots of people get the first chapter, then maybe it's not going to be that long. Perfect. So, yes, I want you to go check it out then. Currently, you could wishlist it on Steam. It is the Tide show keeper i want to say thank you today for joining me on the show is there any other spot we're sending people or twitter or discord any of that stuff uh we're on facebook but no i think steam is the best place please go on wishlist and thanks for having me Perfect, Paul. thank you again and, and enjoy the rest of your evening yeah, it's e- afternoon you rest of your afternoon <laughs> yeah you too <laughs> thanks the SW Show and all of its affiliate podcasts are podcasts by me, Mike Maroney, and AJ Losey, by, sometimes by our contributors, including Corey King. You can follow The SW Show on social media at The SW Show, or sooner or later, you go to patreon.com slash SWW to help us out. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.